You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. He stood alone against his people's insistence and desire to practice evil and through incredible perseverance ultimately restored Israel's national spirit. And thus he continued for another 45 years. So we're going to go through the next 45 years as we continue our series uh, here in the book of 1 Samuel. This is what we need to pray for. God, give us more individuals like Samuel and do in us what God has done through Samuel. We live in a culture that provides ample opportunity for us to either give in to wickedness or stand up in righteousness. What do you choose? As Pastor Mike continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel, we'll witness Samuel's demonstration of what it looks like to boldly stand for God, even in the face of great opposition. Will you follow that example, or will you be intimidated into passively allowing the lost around you to continue on the destructive path of sin? Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 7 as he continues his message, Prepare Your Heart for the Lord. These instructions of Samuel's are quite informative. And let's consider them in this way. They are steps towards a renewal of right-mindedness and the enjoyment of the blessings of God in our lives. And once again, let me ask you, are these things, have these things been missing in your own personal life, in your own walk in your relationship with the Lord in 2020? So what were they to do? to reestablish that relationship with the Lord. The renewal of right-mindedness, the enjoyment of the blessings of God in their lives. What steps were they to take? Well, there were two of them, according to the instructions that Samuel had laid out here for them. The first of which was that they were to forsake their sins, no matter how enjoyable and the way of life that led to them. And, and, and that's the attraction of sin, right, in a person's life. As I mentioned before, there's pleasure in sin for a season. So what do we need to do? Uh, and this, you know, it, it sort of uh, uh, becomes a pattern, and those kinds of sinful patterns are extremely hard to break when we've given, themse- when we've given ourselves to those things over an extended period of, of time. So what do we need to do? Well, simply we need to ask God, to help you to break those sinful patterns in your life. You need to avoid them. You need to avoid certain people 
and places that entice us to do the wrong things. Uh, those things that uh, serve to inflame our carnal lusts. We need to avoid those things at all uh, costs. And then secondly, according to the instructions laid out by Samuel, they were to recommit themselves to seek out and follow the truth as it has been revealed to us in God's word. Jesus himself said in John's Gospel in chapter 17 and verse 17, actually, as he was praying to the Father uh, for us, he said, sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. You know, also as another cross-reference for this, in the 119th Psalm, in verses 11 and 12, there we read, your word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. So that's the way to break those sinful patterns within our lives. Get back into the regular study of God's word. So have you been negligent in 2020? No, I don't suspect that any of you have been. But you know, there's always room to increase that time that we spend regularly every day in the word of God. And it will prevent you from falling into sin, from overcome, being overcome by uh, temptation. Gang, it is by the renewing of our mind that we progressively appreciate and understand that good and acceptable will of God. As we are exhorted to do in the book of Romans by Paul the Apostle in chapter 12 in verse 2. It is only by putting into practice what is taught in the Bible that we can enjoy the rewards of righteousness. But then he goes on, notice then in verses 5 and 6, what happened next? Let's go back to our text. And Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mitzpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. And so they gathered together at Mitzpah. They drew water, this is sort of curious, and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mitzpah. Now let's talk about this location. Mitzpah is a mountain five miles, located five miles northwest of the city of Jerusalem at an elevation about 3,000 feet. From there is an excellent view of the surrounding area. And so by ones and twos, in families and in small groups, from everywhere, the people began to converge on Mitzpah. And it must have been pretty exciting, uh, particularly if you were Samuel. Uh, the people returning to God. There's now this national unity. Uh, and finally, Samuel is sensing that his persistent labor is finally uh, paying off. So it must have been a really exciting time, but particularly exciting for uh, Samuel. So on this solemn occasion, this day of assembly, the people fasted. The idea is that they sought the Lord. They confessed their sin. And notice, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord according to verse 6. Now, what was that all about? Now, there's no biblical tradition or precedent for this. I think that the idea here is as water once poured out on the ground cannot be gathered up again, the people seemingly were indicating the decision that they were making, returning to the Lord, they were going to obey God's word, 
was a no turning back one. In other words, the decision that they were making was irreversible. They were going to go forward, no looking back. They were going to follow God and do his will. So the picture that's being painted here is a really beautiful one. You know, God help us to make that same kind of a decision in 2021. For us, there's no going back. Okay, let's go back to our narrative now, verses 7 through 11. Now, when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mitzvah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel, and when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And so the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord, our God, for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day, and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as uh, Beth uh, Car. Okay, so, uh, and, and uh, now this is really curious as well. The last thing that Israel would have expected was their being attacked by the Philistines, that is, as they were rededicating their lives to the Lord. Now, there's something to take away from this, something that's very important. I think that we need to mark this well, because whenever there is a stirring of the Spirit of God in the renewing of his people's lives, you can be sure that the devil will be just as active in attempting to counter all the good works that has been done. You can be sure when you make that kind of a commitment, when you're going to sell out, when you finally come to your senses, you rededicate yourself to the Lord, you confess your sin, you can be sure that the devil is going to be right behind you, right? And he's going to, he's going to attack you. So we need to be prepared for that. Now, how did he go about doing this? Well, the devil, notice, according to our text, rouses a mistaken judgment among the Philistines. You see, the Philistines thought that Israel had gathered together at Mizpah to launch a revolt against the Philistines. But this was a mistaken notion on the Philistines' apart. They weren't there to do that. They were there to confess their sin and come back to the Lord, to recommit their lives to the Lord. And so anyway, what did the Philistines do? Well, according to our text, the lords of the Philistines quickly mapped out their strategy. They decided not to wait to be attacked, and thus they went on the offensive. The Philistines, using the valley ravines that led up to Mizpah, they ascended the mountain. Fear quickly spread throughout the entire Israeli assembly. And with justified anxiety, what did they do? They implored Samuel to pray for them. Notice there in verse 8. Now, let's talk about fear and how to overcome it. First of all, let me begin by saying fear 
receives its strength when we attribute to a person, place, or thing two qualities that properly belong to God. The first of which is almightiness, and that is the power to take away our freedom to function as we see a fit. But don't ever be afraid for that. Remember, God is with us. God's hand is upon us. And we need not be fearful of anything as long as he is with us and, more importantly, that we are with him. And then secondly, impendency or the inevitability of something happen within, uh, within our lives that is the power, some kind of power to do us harm. But remember, we've given our lives to God. And God is not going to allow anything to happen to his children except what he allows to happen to his uh, children. And so what is the antidote to fear? Well, it's simply to place ourselves unreservedly under the sovereignty of God. You know, Peter in his epistle put it this way, in 1 Peter in chapter 5, in verse 7, casting all of our care or all of our fears upon him. Why? Because he cares for us. So listen, we can trust him for our well-being. Listen, we don't ever have to face life's problems on our own. God is with us. So don't allow fear to come and grip our hearts. Because if we allow that to happen, you know, fear just has that uh, capacity to be able to uh, cripple us. It has that crippling effect uh, upon us. So don't ever allow that to happen. Remember, when we commit ourselves to the Lord, we are able to employ the resources that he has given us. His grace is, uh, is available to us to empower us. Now, according to our text, God answered Samuel's prayer. What happened? Well, he thundered against the Philistines. Notice there in verse 10. Now, Josephus, in his writings, Josephus is the Israeli, uh, the Jewish historian. In his writings depicting this particular event, he claims that the thunder and lightning were accompanied by an earthquake which caused the ground under their feet to move and open to terrify the Philistines. And then in verse 11, we are told, notice, let's go back to our text, that the men of Israel, leaving their wives and children behind, ran down the slopes of Mitzvah in pursuit of the Philistines and chased them as far as Beth Car. And so that day, the victory was the Lord's. Let's go on now, verses 12 through 14. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord had helped us. This stone, just think of it as a stone of remembrance. And we're going to come back to this in just a moment. I think that this is very important. Verse 13. So the Philistines were subdued and they did not come anymore into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath, and Israel recovered its territories from the hands of the Philistines. Also there was peace between Israel 
and the Amorites. Okay, so as I've mentioned, the victory was the Lord's. And so the defeat of Israel's enemies was a thorough one. The Philistines made no further attempt to regroup, and we are told that the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. Notice there in verse 13, all the days of Samuel. There was this peace, and this peace gave Israel opportunity to recover economically as well as morally from all of the effects of decades of uh, hardship. Now, let's go back to this Ebenezer stone, or as I like to refer to it as the stone of remembrance. Now, this was a custom that was held by Israel throughout the Old Testament. Whenever God had done something on behalf of an individual or a people or a tribe, at that particular location, they would take these stones and they would place them one on top of another in remembrance of God's faithfulness and God going before them, God providing for them, God defeating their enemies. A classical example of this would have been in the book of Joshua in chapter 4, when finally, after 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness, they're finally going to enter into the land of Canaan, right? And God parted the Jordan River. And then remember, Joshua, God instructed Joshua to take one member of each of the 12 tribes of Israel to take a stone and place those stones one on top of another in remembrance of God parting the Jordan River so that they would be able to pass over it and enter into the land of Jordan. And then in the succeeding generations, they were to bring their children back to that location where the stones had been placed uh, one on top of another. And then they were to teach their children concerning God's faithfulness and how that God had gone before them. Hey, listen, it would serve us well. Now, I'm not suggesting that you use stones to do this. But, you know, all of us have had those kinds of experiences, right? Where God has done something spectacular on our behalf. You know, if nothing else, our conversion experience. You know, think of the details surrounding our uh, conversion experience. And I suspect if I've given every one of you of an opportunity, you would be able to stand and talk about the events leading up to your conversion experience. And uh, it would serve you well to remember those occasions. You know, to, to bring your, your children back or, or people that you might be ministering to them and, and, you know, and tell them about God's faithfulness and, and, and how that God provided for you and what God did for you, he will also uh, do for them. So these stones of remembrance, that's what this Ebenezer uh, stone was all about. And then in verses 15 through 17, the remainder of this chapter, we read, And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and judged Israel in all of those places. But he always returned to Ramah. And you know, by the way, I forgot. You know, just in case you're wondering about what the office of the judge was all about, the administration of a judge, I I, I guess I should mention that, right? And uh, so let me give you a little bit of a background. What did it mean when it refers to Samuel or any of the other judges of Israel? What does that mean? Well, first of all, let me say, although some modern versions shy away from using this expression 
to judge. It is clearly the meaning of the Hebrew uh, word. Perhaps we do not understand that there is a proper consequence for all genuine repentance. We thereby miss the fact that there must be a work of education or adjunction, 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 to be carried out by God's earthly uh, representative. Samuel was one such representative. He was there by God's design for the purpose of directing and ordering his people in the administration of justice and righteousness. In accordance with the previous acts of repentance, the reality of confession must be tested uh, by the amount of restitution with which it was carried out. Wherever there had been theft, cheating, or other acts of injustice, the sincerity of the nation's confession was somewhat in doubt until there were acts of full restoration or plans for it. So God had placed Samuel, as well as he did others that were known as judges, in the post of leaders of this great convocation in order that he might exercise the function of judging. So that's what judging uh, refers to. That's what judging is all about. Okay, let's go on. So in verse 17, but he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there, his place of birth, and there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Okay, so what do we have in these concluding verses of chapter 7? Well, what we have here is a summary of the remainder of Samuel's life. Although, as we move through the remainder of this book of the Bible, uh, we're reintroduced to Samuel, and we're going to talk about some of the other um, ministries and, and other things that Samuel accomplished, the way that God had used him. But Samuel it was certainly an extraordinary individual. And he was someone who possessed the best and purest virtues of man. He stands as a perpetual symbol of all that is upright, all that is pure and godlike. His influence was a great power in Israel, inspiring many a young heart with holy awe. He was a man of vision, a man of courage, fortitude, and great humility. He stood alone against his people's insistence and desire to practice evil, and through incredible perseverance, ultimately restored Israel's national spirit. And thus he continued for another 45 years. So we're going to go through the next 45 years as we continue our series uh, here in the book of 1 Samuel. This is what we need to pray for. God, give us more individuals like Samuel and do in us what God has done through Samuel. In my father's house There's a place for me In my father's house Where I long to be oh, my That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Did you know that you could listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House and be sure to subscribe. And let us know you're a listener in the comments. We'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship, too. You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. 
While you're there, you can reserve your seat by clicking on Contact and then the Register link. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. Thanks again for joining us today, and we look forward to our continuing study of 1 Samuel next time here on In My Father's House. There's a place for me.